for the first time in my whole life um, a couple of years ago after the tour for Jagged Little Pill and I'd always been running and grasping and searching and intellectualizing and all of those fun things and um, none of them actually resulted in my finding what I thought I was supposed to find I felt that I lived in a culture that told me that I had to consistently and constantly look outside of myself to feel this elusive bliss and uh, I achieved a lot of what society had told me to achieve, and I still didn't feel peaceful and motivated throughout all my life um, to express myself first and foremost. Always curious, always curious about um, fame and the joy that would ensue if you have the approval of the, the public and. <clears throat> even though I don't really think there's such thing as unanimous approval from anybody. Um, so I realized that that was an illusion. And once I realized that that was an illusion, then I started questioning everything, and I realized that actually everything was an illusion. And it was scary for me because everything I had believed in and lived my life according to was dissolving in front of me. And there was a death of sorts, a really beautiful one ultimately, but at first a very scary one. And so I stopped and I thought, well, the path that I'm taking isn't quite leading to consistent bliss, so I'm going to just see if this might do something. And uh, after having studied different religions and different cultures and different mindsets and philosophies and um, still wasn't quite peaceful. So I don't think, by the way, that there's such thing as peaceful non-stop. I think that we can be fundamentally peaceful and joy because I think that's what we innately are. And all these emotions run over top of it. We can be angry or irritable or cranky or excited and all of these things, but I really don't believe that that's what we are. I believe that, that those are indications of something that we can change or continuing to enjoy. We get glimpses of, of how beautiful we are. So. I stopped for the first time, and what I was overcome with was a huge sense of compassion for myself, first and foremost, and hadn't felt that in a long time. And then, naturally, that translated into my feeling compassion for everyone around me, and a huge amount of gratitude that I had never felt before to this extent. And, um, and that's why I had to write this song, Thank You, because I had to express how exciting this was and how scary it was and all of it. You have to be willing to rewatch a movie. Oh, hell yeah! Hell yeah! Quick, quick, quick. Hey, Please don't aggregate this. Lillard, long range three. Their defense is atrocious. I'm sort of the rock star. Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. You know, we love China. We love no playing here. It comes a dunk. Shut up and listen. You think you're better than me? All right, welcome back to the Rewindables. Chris Mandelkin, Ben Craw, Christian Lynch, a.k.a. Cousin Christian. Gents, welcome back. We are, of course, talking about the redacted ice skating film from 1992, Paul Michael Glazer's classic. 
Yep, part I 62. Part 62 begins right now. Around in third, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, <laughs> we have done an extensive draft of non-speaking characters. Yep. We've talked about a smash Harding. success uh, for for me personally. Uh, I do feel like I came out with the strongest team. Thank you very much. Yep. I disagree with that. <laughs> I mean, do you have Kate's dead mother on your team? <laughs> no, you do Touché. not. Touche. Touche. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we've interviewed Paul Michael Glazer. We've interviewed uh, Tony Gilroy. We spoke to D.B. Sweeney. We spoke to Robert Court. This feels like, guys, the end of the line here. I don't think there's anything left really Are you to sure? unpack a, with the film. A one hour and 42 minute film stretched into 29 hours of content. Mm-hmm. Do you, I think we might have more to talk about. <laughs> yeah, there's always, let's be honest, there's always more. Um, yeah, sure. That we can find. It's really just a matter of, you know, sort of what we have left in the tanks. You know, when you get old in life, things get taken from. You. I mean, that's 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 part of life. But you only learn that when you start losing stuff. You find out life's this game of inches. So is football. Because in either game, life or football. The margin for error is so small. I mean, one half a step too late or too early, and you don't quite make it. One half second too slow, too fast, you don't quite catch it. The inches we need are everywhere around us. Hell yeah. They're in every break of the game, every minute, every second. (laughs) On this team, we fight for that inch. On this team, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that inch. We claw with our fingernails for that inch. Because we know when we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. Between living and dying. I'll tell you this, in any fight, it's the guy who's willing to die who's going to win that itch. And I know if I'm going to have any life anymore, it's because I'm still willing to fight and die for that itch. Because that's what living is. The six inches in front of your face. Now I can't make you do it. You gotta look at the guy next to you. Look into his eyes. Now I think you're gonna see a guy who will go that inch with you. You're gonna see a guy who will sacrifice himself for this team because he knows when it comes down to it, you're gonna do the same for him. That's the team, gentlemen. And either we heal now as a team or we will die as individuals as football guys that's all it is now what are you gonna do I guess uh, 
whether we're, we're still feeling, you know, like Michael Jordan and, you know, following the conclusion of the 1993 NBA Finals, you know, when you're yeah. sort of at the mountaintop and you're looking around and there's literally no one next to you because you're so high above everything, uh, you know, else in your field. You know, you have to question some things and, and, uh, and, and you know, assess uh, sort of, you know, what your, what your priorities are. So, you know, we're just, we're, we're not making any you know, guarantees or ultimatums or anything like that. But we're just, uh, you know, I would say we're at that stage in the in the process. Phil always looked for a theme for every season. And given that it was the last year we were going to be together, management had already made that decision. In typical Phil fashion, you know, he had a, uh, a, a name for it. We'd arrive at the practice facility. It's our first official meeting as a team. Get the team handbook. Laminated on the front page. Last dance. And talked to the players about particularly how important it was for us to really be together in this last run that we were going to have. So I called it the last dance. Yeah, I would say this is undoubtedly our Olympics program that we've been doing for many, many weeks now. And, uh, you know, the usual path after this is uh, the ice capades. You know, mm-hmm. being Snoopy the professional on ice, circuit. Yeah, being Snoopy. Yeah. And like, perhaps that is, you know, these there were sequels of the redacted film. There are two of them. Oh <laughs> that my came God, out that's later. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know. I wasn't just, sure we were ever actually going to address I feel those. We Broach should, that issue. <laughs> we should, at least the sequel. That was amazing. She skated in the shadow of two champions. You cannot keep pushing yourself like this. Until it all came crashing down. Now, to get a shot at the gold, the princess on ice. I'm making the shift over to pair. If there's anyone who wants to skate with me, you know who to contact. We'll have to join the rebel on wheels. Here to try out. It's my dream. Oh, please. He doesn't even know how to skate. I think you look good together. Princess. From Sony Pictures and MGM Studios. You know, you're kind of cute when you get all mad. <gasps> He's so irresponsible. Get the eyes. Make the cut. And take it to the edge. You ready? Yeah, let's do this. We should, but we certainly could. I think "could" is the operative word. <laughs> I feel like we must. Is the operative <laughs> oh wow! Doubling uh, down. It's thrown out there because technically the sequel, which was not written by Tony Gilroy, yeah, no involvement from any of the actors, directors, nope. writers. No, but nothing. the characters are the same, so it is a continuation of the story. So yeah, anyways, it is. It is canon technically. It's there for the taking, is my point. But yeah. that's not why, we, why we're here, Ben. Why are we here? No, we're here. Um, it just sort of felt like the the proper time 
to um, to address some 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 past um, you know errors and omissions uh, and address some historical wrongs you know right some historical wrongs uh, so ladies and gentlemen welcome to the redacted 1992 ice skating <laughs> movie corrections and addenda episode um, this Folks is where it's coming we you know, this was this was always this was always yeah. gonna happen we've uh, done we've done little little you know mini versions of of this in pat in previous episodes which I will be you know reminding people of if, if they need to go back and find those. Um, I would say that we've even done a whole, um, you know, Tanya Harding uh, spinoff special miniseries uh, <laughs> that was basically inspired by a correction uh, that needed to be made. But this is, in fact, a Corrections and Addenda episode for the entire Rewindables Redacted Ice Skating movie series. Um, so we're going to be going through, starting at episode one, <laughs> going up through the draft. Oh my god. So ba- just- basically I have been subpoenaed and I am appearing in front of a grand all jury rise. for yes. all the crimes I have committed with much like Howard Hughes, errors. you are speaking in front of Congress uh, <laughs> and uh, Ladies and gentlemen, accountability is so important. It is paramount here yeah, at the Rewindables and that's what tonight is about. Right. As many is, of our listeners um, may know, I am a, a professional journalist by trade. I take my craft <laughs> and my my trade very very seriously. Yes, this man um, is operate. written for Yahoo News. Yep, <laughs> this nope, is Yahoo's yeah. newsman. No, I am. I am a newsman yes, through and through. Newsman. True blue. I've always been a newsman. I will always be a newsman in my bones, uh, and that's why I have to. You know, I have no choice but to operate under a strict code of ethics and and rules. And uh, and um, yeah, that is why I am. I am duty and honor bound to uh, issue these corrections and um, and also. Um, you know, offer some some addenda because um, you know we could always use use more addenda in our lives. Um, so um, enough foreplay. foreplay. Enough foreplay. <laughs> I think without any further ado, uh, we're going to jump right into it now. So the way this is going to work is I'm gonna we're gonna again we're gonna start with episode one. Uh, spoiler alert: Not every single episode has a correction. Some episodes are perfect and flawless. Um, I'll note that uh, when it is the case. Um, but I'm going to start, uh, and, you know, start episode one and proceed forward in time. Um, and I'll note the time code of the episode where the, uh, error or omission occurs. And then I will, uh, issue the, the correction. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I think, uh, unless anyone has any, any questions or, or concerns they'd like to air, we can proceed. I am. Pour yourselves a drink. Get a, get a drink. (laughs) Uh, Pour yourself drinks. You might be in for a bit of a long one. I don't exactly know how many episodes this will be, but, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see how how, how it goes. All right. Yep. The floor is yours, Ben, whenever you're ready. Go ahead. Let's Let's, do this. So episode one. Um, now, uh, appropriately enough, the very first correction, which we have, in fact, already uh, addressed, uh, occurs at 2610 of episode one, uh, when Cousin Christian makes the Tanya Harding uh, mi- uh, year mix-up. I, I think it was, not. I, no, it was 1992. I looked this up. It all happened in 92. Uh, really? I, the I, attack? I, I, I think the attack was 94. Was it okay? Well, um, it's all about that period, though, where the Nancy yeah. Kerrigan, Tanya Harding. Yeah, it was '94. Was was the was the assault on Kerrigan, folks? Just a reminder: this is 
March 20th. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is March 20th. March 20th was when our first episode dropped. That's Wait, really? episode <laughs> I never actually looked at the dates. Yep. <laughs> episode 240, uh, part one of the Rewindables, March. The Cutting Edge. Fucking yeah, winter. I am currently <laughs> in rec- winter. Yeah, I'm currently recording yeah. this in a flying car in the year 2025. So <laughs> this, uh, <laughs> we, we've been doing this for a bit. It's about, uh, oh my God, I did about half realize. a year now, folks. Uh, if you had put a gun in my head, I would have been like, May. I would not have. All right. Anyway, so yeah. Um, so the yeah the, the the correction to kick them to to start them all off um, is the tiny year mix up. Of course, that was already addressed in um, episode I believe uh, was it eighteen and nineteen of the uh, the Tanya Harding behind the music uh, two part miniseries. <laughs> Um, so I don't need to go through all that again, um, but just want to... Do I have a chance know. to say I apologize? I apologize. You do, you do, yeah, certainly. To our royal audience, I apologize. I don't know what I said. I appreciate said. that. I, I, I accept your apology <laughs> if you were offended. Um, but in fact, I thank you, cousin, because it was that, um, it was that error that, that really did inspire and motivate me to go down a much longer and more rewarding and, and fruitful rabbit hole with Tanya and her music. Um, I also really, apologize to your wife and kids about yeah, I mean, sending listen. daddy down there. What's daddy doing? He's listening to old <laughs> they've tapes got their, of Tanya they've, Harding. They've got their microwave dinners tonight. They're fine, okay? Don't worry about them. They've got their, I set them up in front of the TV, so they're good to go. <laughs> Um, okay, moving on uh, here. Episode one at forty four twenty five, I make a reference to Doug uh, from the town, um, uh, classic movie, The Town, um, and, I, and I mentioned Doug and, and his relationship with the character Crystal. It made it made it reminded me of Doug in the town in the way he would. Um, uh, well, let's just say his the nature of his relationship with Crystal. Um, of course, the actual name of that character is Krista. 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 Mm. I don't know why Crystal and Krista uh, it just always trip me up. Um, of course, played by the by the legendary Blake Lively. Um, in fact, it's not the only time I made that error, so I'll I'll uh, I'll be addressing the the uh, mm. other time as well. Um, but just wanted to correct that for the record. Krista, Krista is Doug's um, uh, wonderful life partner and mate in <laughs> that film, The Town. Moving on at forty nine uh, minutes into episode one, um, I I absolutely blow it and I misquote a great movie, Saving Silverman. Um, in fact, I say uh, to quote Saving Silverman. She is the mega bitch of my dreams. What can I say? She is the woman of my dreams. She is completely <laughs> mesmerizing. Um, like, step on me with your toe pick. She step is, on my throat. She is, in fact, uh, yes. Uh, to to quote uh, Saving Silverman, um, she is the mega bitch of my dreams. I apologize. <laughs> I was doing that from memory. Um, I hadn't seen the movie in probably a good 10 years or so. The actual line from Saving Silverman, spoken by uh, Steve Zahn's character Wayne in the middle of the uh, you know climactic uh, fight at the wedding with Judith, played by the great Amanda Pete, is quote. Dirt, my kid, you just admit that when you kissed me, you liked it. You're right. I have a weakness for incompetent morons. <laughs> <laughs> Admit it! 
I'm the strong-willed, assertive man that you need, and you're the hardcore bitch that I've always dreamed of! And I know it's late. I just... You're the hardcore bitch that I've always dreamed of. You're the hardcore bitch that I've always dreamed of. So, want to make sure that little... Yeah, right, folks, we're just on episode right. one here. <laughs> yeah. And for anyone going that's saving it. That's Silverman, it for episode one. the year was 2001, and a film comes out of the blue for no reason about a bunch of dim-witted high school buddies that are Neil Diamond fanatics mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, plot to keep their friend from marrying the wrong woman. It involves yeah. the real Neil Diamond appeared in this film. Uh, Jason Biggs was still riding high off of, uh, you know, American Pie, which... Very American much, just, fame. yeah. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that, yeah, you know, he was so, really anyways. feeling it. Our so. R. Lee uh, Ernie uh, plays a fantastic, uh, you know, from Full Metal Jacket uh, fame. Uh, plays a coach, um, has some so, has some great great moments in that film. Does some great know, work. The, the fact that Ben botched that film, we all love and remember. <laughs> I botched it. I botched it badly. <laughs> but the, again, the silver lining here is that perhaps this is inspiration for you all to go out and watch or rewatch uh, that fantastic film, Saving Silverman. This story is about me and my two pals. We've been best friends since the fifth grade. But now we're all grown up. Nothing could ever come between us. Then she came along. Give the lady a scotch. And I'll have another beer. Oh, he'll have a gin and tonic. Make that a gin and tonic. Judy, awesome to meet you. Judith. Judith. And a beer bong for the lady? Darren tells me you're a psychologist. I'm in a related field. Really? What's that? Pest and rodent removal. Saving Silverman. Get us escaped! Um, all right, we're on to episode two, guys. Um, Fantastic. Let's see here. We have uh, just a couple quick corrections here. Um, at around the 32:30 mark, um, I use the expression "sad sap." One of the one of the uh, you know poor sad sap uh, partners that we see Kate literally skating circles around. Sad sap with a P. I can, you can clearly hear me enunciate the P at the end of "sad sap," uh, referring to some of Kate's former skating partners, I believe. Um, so while sad sap does technically make sense, since a, a sap is just a, a stupid, foolish, or gullible person, uh, the far more common and appropriate phrase that I was clearly reaching for there is sad sack, sad sack, mm. S-A-C-K, um, which is a phrase that uh, I believe originated as a military slang during World War II. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir, but the rubber on my heel melted and stuck to the accelerator. Somehow, Bixby, I knew that'd be a logical explanation. Nobody else could foul up the army in such a howl of a way. Nobody but that wild and wacky, sad sack in khaki, Jerry Lewis. Hey, Sergeant. Oh. Everybody tries to make a soldier out of Sad Sack. His buddy, David Wayne, teaches him how to shoot. A beautiful major, Phyllis Kirk, tries a little psychology. We like to extend a personal welcome to our new men here at Camp Calhoun. Sort of have them get to know us, give us a chance to get to know them. 
That's very nice. Oh. But they can't stop Sadsack from running wild right into the shower room of a regiment of wax. Um, the full term was Sad Sack of Shit, um, uh, which was common during World War II and meant uh, an inept person or inept soldier. Uh, and fun fact, there was uh, an American comic strip and comic book character created by a real uh, military sergeant, uh, George Baker, in 1942, during World War II, set in the United States Army. The comic uh, was titled Sad Sack. And it depicted an otherwise unnamed, lowly private experiencing some of the absurdities and humiliations of military life. Uh, so go check that out uh, if uh, if you like uh, World War II era comic books or comic strips. Sad sack. Uh, I so yeah, assume the- that Ben in his basement has a Zodiac level threads just stretched and pulling across the wall. Are we having fun yet? Oh, we're having fun. <laughs> Oh, we're having a blast. Okay, am, great, good, good. I'm following you down the Wikipedia You guys have no idea here. what this is doing, though, for my mental health. This is really, I recommend everyone uh, just, you know, clear out, clear out the cobwebs every now and then. It's uh, really, did you, really cathartic. Did you know that the uh, Sad Sack cartoon was turned into a film of Jerry Lewis in 1957? I did not know that. I did not. Well, now wow. you wow. do. It was turned into <laughs> wow. a film. Uh, Jerry Lewis, what a perfect casting choice that is! Absolutely, it was turned into a <laughs> film, and uh, wow, the Variety how. reviewer said the title, a hint about what the picture is about, and Jerry Lewis's star communicate the message about this new Hal B. Wallace production. Oh, yeah, Hal Wallace, okay, sure, mm, yeah. So, anyways, um, yeah, sure. Uh, All right, sounds like a winner. Uh, all I can say is, sap, you fool, <laughs> you yeah. fool. Uh, I mean, while while Kate's uh, former skating partners are certainly, um, you know, inept, uh, I wouldn't call them, you know, foolish or gullible uh, per se. So, you know, Mm. clearly uh, that was a mistake on my part. Uh, Moving on, still in episode two here at at, uh, about one hour, two minutes and 20. This is a this is admittedly this is a bit nitpicky. This one, Um, (laughs) I said that Kate uh, or sorry, I said that Doug uh, and the scene, you know, when they first meet and they do their first little kind of run through practice together with Anton, uh, at the very end, uh, Doug is holding Kate, uh, above his head, um, you know, by her armpits. And I think I mentioned that, uh, she was perhaps nine or 10 feet up in the air. Doug attempting a move, uh, in which he holds Kate up above his head. Uh, and I'm talking clean above his head. Arms are locked. He's holding her by her armpits. She is a good, I don't know, not nine feet up, ten feet up in the air. That's probably not accurate. Um, I looked it up. No DB Sweeney is uh, six feet tall. Um, now the average reach, uh, I can't speak exactly for DB himself, but the average reach for a six foot tall person is about eight feet, meaning standing reach. You know how far you can, you know, extend your your the tips of your fingers above your head. Uh, so that's the height of, of Doug's hands holding Kate by the armpits. So um, her head could maybe be close to like nine to ten feet, uh, you know, depending on sort of the length of her, you know, neck and torso, upper upper torso, all that. Uh, but her butt, uh, you know, which is the thing that actually hits the ice, is probably about the height of Doug, Doug's neck. Um, so that would be, you know, closer to five, five and a half feet. Um Obviously, he still should not have dropped her. That could have caused it's a big difference, serious though. injury. But yeah, yeah. nine, yeah, five a and a half, big, nine or ten—that is the difference between a bruise and 
serious spinal damage, perhaps. And, yeah, so now, you would, that's a broken <laughs> tailbone. Ten, yeah. You drop 10 feet on your rear end, you're breaking a tailbone. Yep, mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. to foreshadow uh, where corrections are probably going to lie, but just a hunch that we just corrected how high off the ice she is. Probably during the Pam Chico, we're going to talk about how close her head gets to the ice. Just a, <laughs> a hunch. Just a hunch. Uh, we'll see that. We're, we'll we're going to talk Yikes. about distances from ice. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. And also maybe what sorts of how, how those scenes were filmed. I don't know. So wait, to, to myth bust, how, what are we saying? Like, what is the distance? Are you saying eight and a half feet? I'm saying like, I guess when I said, oh, she's, you know, nine or 10 feet up in the air. I mean, again, like maybe her head was at yeah. that height, which I guess you could say then you, yeah, sure. If your head is 10 feet up in the air, you say you're 10 feet up in the no. air. But, but, she, but really, it's more end. the the yeah the, the more is, the yeah. buttocks is dropped more in the five and a half foot. I mean exactly still, yeah. that's okay. kind of the more important body since that's the thing that actually Im, you know hits impacts yep. the ice. We accept um, your apology. Yes, thank you. Good thank correction. You. Good correction. Thank you. All right, uh, we're on to episode three. Breezing right along right. here um, at <laughs> nine fifty, the nine fifty mark. I said that Doug, um, when when you know when Doug is doing his little um, you know dance with the zamboni in the ice rink. Um, I said that Doug is pretending he's Wayne Gretzky. We have Moira reading her book. Doug uh, playing hockey against the Zamboni. This is a very fun scene. Mm -hmm. He's pretending that he's Wayne Gretzky. That is incorrect. He was pretending that he was playing with Wayne Gretzky. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been about four, four months since my last confession. Yes, my son? Well, I don't know where to start, Father. Have you taken the name of Jesus Christ in vain? Yeah. yeah have you disrespected your mother and father? Uh-huh. Have you stolen or cheated your fellow man? Yeah, but I'm not proud of it. Have you had impure thoughts or engaged in impure deeds? Oh, Father, you have no idea. Is there something else that you want to tell me in your own words? Well, you know, I've, I've done all kinds of crazy shit. Oh, excuse me, Father. Fuck, I'm... Christ, I have a dirty mouth. Look, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Just go on. Ten Hail Marys, five Our Fathers. What do you mean? And that's it? That's my punishment? Mm. As all, we all remember, yeah. the, the line, Whoa, Dorsey back to Gretzky, over to Esposito, LaFontaine to Dorsey, Dorsey to Gretzky. Whoa! Dorsey back to Gretzky, over to Esposito, LaFontaine to Dorsey, Dorsey to Gretzky, Gretzky to Dorsey, Dorsey shoots, he scores! So clearly he's not Wayne Gretzky, he's playing with Wayne Gretzky because he's Dorsey in that right. fantasy so scenario. So in that situation, he's Mark Messier, he's Paul Coffey, right, he's, right. you know, fill-in-the-blank teammate of Wayne Gretzky. So. Yes, and in the draft episode, I surmised that the Zamboni driver likely defecated in a bucket. But likely, <laughs> I would say the outhouse scenario at this Greenwich compound would have running plumbing. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't dare have a, a bucket defecation. Uh, now, I'm not saying the toilet is nice. I'm sure there's yeah. very little heating and insulation in this. But the Zamboni driver that lives on the compound likely has a running toilet. And for that, I apologize. Yeah, that's a good correction, cousin. Thank you. And again, uh, I want to make it clear here, cousin and Chris, you are welcome to offer your own corrections at any time here. Uh, so feel feel free to uh, you know jump in at any time. But yeah, I agree with you there, cause they wouldn't risk you know any sort of situation where you know there could be f- you know feces spilled in a in a you know any any 
area, you know, accessible to them I or mean, their guests. Any minute Jack knows the feds are going to rush in on his compound <laughs> built by Raytheon. And yes. the last thing he needs is the thing that actually gets him is like health code violations. Yeah, like he, yeah. he knows he can get around all the other charges. But if there's buckets of like feces that the workers are using, he knows that could send him to jail. So no, that's Jack a red flag. Be so not be so stupid. He yeah. understands treat them like the help, but not like not too nice. Exactly. Feel like they live here. So it's. Jack yeah, it's really just less work for him in the end, less less hassle and work for him in the end to just give the man a working some working plumbing. Correct. Um, All right, Ben. So so uh, Doug is not imagining himself as Wayne Gretzky, but rather that he's playing with playing Wayne with. Gretzky. Yes. So that, that's a correction. Uh, however, that scene, that exact scene, also gives me an opportunity for uh, a fun addendum. Um, this is a little based on the research I was doing actually um, during the recent the research for my draft when I was uh, reviewing that Zamboni scene a little bit more closely. Um, you know, Doug has this fantasy scenario where he's playing with all these NHL greats, you know, Gretzky and Phil Esposito. He says LaFontaine at one point, uh, Pat LaFontaine. Um, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I wonder, like, that's a cool kind of, like, all-star, te- you know, dream team of players. Um, I wonder if they ever actually, like, you know, played together, any of those 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 names of, of NHL greats. Um, but, in fact, uh, Doug's little fantasy could never have happened in real life because Phil Esposito played in the NHL from 1963 to 1981. Ladies and gentlemen, before we hear from the man we honor tonight, Phil Esposito, Ray Bork. The captain of the Bruins will make a presentation. Harriet asked me, he says, look, Phil, I think it's time we retired your number. I said, but Borky's got it. And he said, well, I've talked to Ray. We're going to put your name on it. And when Ray retires, we'll put his name on it. And we'll do a ceremony with him. And I said, "That fine. I said, I would. That'd be beautiful. I think that is one of the greatest honors I could ever have in my life, is have the, my number retired. Um, not too many people get that. I think that it's, it's absolutely the greatest you could ever, in my mind, be honored in hockey. put into words how classy was that of Ray Bork uh, it was unbelievable and when he took off I, I, if you could read my lips in the, in the thing I went what are you doing what are you doing and, and he, he looked at me and he says this is yours big guy and it's always been yours it never should have been anybody else's Whew, I'll tell you he got me he got me Bork could do no wrong for me. What you see is what Ray Bork will wear from now on. Ray Bork is going to wear 77 as number 7 is retired. And Pat LaFontaine 
did not enter the NHL until 1983. Back to the by point for Howard Tuck. In for a second goal! So there is, Sorry, in fact, Doug. no scenario in which Esposito would be passing to or from <laughs> Pat LaFontaine. Sorry, Doug, your fantasy does not Not happening, up. Doug. Um, yeah. Wayne this Gretzky, is another um, one of Doug Dorsey's uh, fantasies, just like he imagines himself to be a construction worker. Doug, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Sorry. Doug. Life yep. doesn't work like that, Doug. Yep, yep. You can't, you can't keep living with these lies, Doug. Um uh, another little uh, fun historical trivia, uh, Wayne Gretzky entered the NHL in 1979, um, so he did overlap with Esposito for a couple of years, you know, at the very end of Esposito's career, but he never played with Esposito. However, on February 24th, 1982, the Great One did break Esposito's record for most goals in a season. The, uh, the previous record was 76 goals in a season set by Esposito. Uh, Gretzky scored three goals that night to help defeat the Buffalo Sabres 6-3, and Esposito was in fact on hand to present the game puck to Gretzky. congratulate you, man, and I want to thank you for allowing me to be part of this. I mean, thank God, Wayne. Congratulations. Because it was such a massive, historic, uh, you know, most goals in season record, and it was clear, you know, by that point that, that Gretzky was only a matter of time until Gretzky was going to break the record, so Esposito was there on hand to witness it. And uh, and Gretzky finished that season, that 81-82 season, with 92 goals scored in the season a record for goals in a single season that still stands today. So, I'm just saying, had Doug Dorsey had a shot in the NHL, based on what we know about his college years, where he said that he That's went out true. and scored what, seven it? goals, seven, seven goals. goals in the first two periods or one <laughs> period? Fir- I think he said in the first two periods, if I'm not mm. not mistaken. Yep. Um, which will be another corrections episode. I find out it was one period. <laughs> yeah, we might need to run a corrections. <laughs> we'll for do that. a corrections on the corrections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Don't worry. It was we'll one of those. Um, but yeah, Doug Dorsey, you know, given the chance, he could have hit more than 92 in a season. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Totally. While we're doing hockey uh, corrections, may I add a hockey correction? That's of course important. In this film, Doug Dorsey is a very important piece of clothing that Doug Dorsey wears is aside from the tweed jacket when he's on dates. The other really important piece of clothing that he wears is the Bobby Hull Chicago Blackhawks jersey. Uh, yeah. Game-worn. With Bobby, Game-worn. with Bobby Hull's name on the back. But Bobby Hull last played for the Blackhawks in 1972. Mm-hmm. And that was before the NHL had players' names on the backs of the jerseys. Yeah, so when yeah. he says, I have... That's Bobby Hull's game jersey, and he hands it to Kate eventually in the film... Yeah. Uh, he's That's got, a lie. He bought it from like some pawn shop idiot who sold him a false bill of goods, and yep. he's been yep. living a lie. Doug, I'm so sorry. That was not a real jersey. You were sold fake merch, 
and you yeah. living yeah. a terrible It's life. built on a house of lies, this whole relationship, Doug and Kate. Yeah, <laughs> I actually I actually brought up this this inaccuracy uh, in a previous episode, but now I'm glad that you made me rethink it, rethink of it or reconsider it, because I initially I was like, oh, that's a movie goof, but I don't think it is. I think it is, in fact, very fitting oh, and, and true to Doug's character that he would have that and, and yeah, either either believe it was real or have been and you know try to pawn it off as real um because he was duped Doug Dorsey's dad who's not in the picture got him a real game jersey <laughs> yeah definitely not he just gets this and he's like oh, okay that's a real jersey and he's yeah. like oh dad I love it and he's like yeah. why has it got blood all over it <laughs> like <laughs> uh, I got it from a guy a good friend of mine it's just like he's just come from a bank heist <laughs> just pawned a bunch of stuff so I'm just saying it's not a movie goof it is part of Doug's he believes it to be true but it's not yeah um, oh, by the way, I just uh, looked it up so we don't have to uh, run another corrections episode. The line was that uh, Doug scored six goals in the first two periods. Oh, thank God we corrected. Yeah, yep. yeah. So that's yep. tied up that loose end. Seven was the actual all-time record, which is why I had that that's number. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's why the seven was in that's your right. head. Yep, yep, yep. Um, all right. I think we are on to episode four now. Um, right. Without of the way, um, at seven minutes and forty seconds in, I make another the town. Crystal, Krista mix-up. Um, I said the name Crystal instead of Krista. His idea of a good <laughs> He's time. He's taking money from these people. Going to watch the yeah. socks with his boys. and Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Having some casual yep. sex with his girl, Crystal. Yep. And she just seems like a Crystal. I'm sorry. I feel she like it's a real blind spot for you. Yeah. Uh, I apologize once again. As like a Boston floozy. Like, she's such a crystal. Think, she's such a, but she's like playing it like she's just like dropping the R, dropping letters like you do in Boston. Yeah. Like, you remember? Yeah. You remember that? It's Krista. It's Krista. Cri- yeah. uh, crystal? Yeah. Krista? I'm not yeah. sure. Do you remember Krista? Yeah. 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 But anyway, the, the actual name in the script in the movie is Krista. So I apologize once again to the town and Ben Affleck and Blake Lively. Um, let's see here. Uh, moving on in episode four at the 1505 mark, I'm discussing the similarities and some of the parallels between the and the, uh, you know, Paul Michael Glazer's previous film. I need to, I need to rewatch the running man before our next recording session, but I have a strong <laughs> hunch that there are parallels between you, you this film and the running session. man. You said our next recording session. I need to, I need to rewatch the running man before our next recording session. You can't keep getting away with it. Before our next recording session, before our next recording session, session. You can't keep getting away with it. Before our next recording session, it is a, it is a movie about a, a spectator uh, event. Uh, with competitors wearing spandex uh, uh, <laughs> under, you know, roving spotlights um, with a lot of class elements involved. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the movie opens on a construction site. Oh, I don't, I just realized that I said the name of the film. I don't know. Is that, are you going to, are we going to, are we bleeping? Should I refer to it as the I mean, 1992 ice skating film? I guess I, I'll try to keep to that moving forward. Sorry, I apologize for that. Okay. Um uh, anyway, um, I'm, I'm talking about those two films, and I say, of quote, if I'm not mistaken, the movie opens on a construction site. I was mistaken. Um, it's a prison. Yeah, it's a prison. Was the movie uh, where Schwarzenegger's character Douglas Quaid is a construction worker? Um, so I totally just had those two movies mixed up in my head. Uh, there is no construction site um, scene in. 
Um, but the one in is phenomenal because you get to see uh, Schwarzenegger operating a jackhammer <laughs> with his ridiculously giant muscles. Super sweaty. Biceps jiggling in the foreground of the frame. It's uh, great work there. Yeah, it's um, great backlighting yeah. and smoke. It's great. Just wanted to make sure every, that everyone knew I do know the difference between those two Schwarzenegger classics. Uh, one directed, of course, by Paul Michael Glazer. The other um, by... Um, oh, Paul Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven. Verhoeven, yeah, Verhoeven. Jesus, sorry. All right. Um, Give it a clean take. Go yeah. Directed by Paul. Whatever, you can just cut that whole... <laughs> director we know who directed them all right oh this is all this last 10 minutes has been bleeped it's okay it's only gonna get cleaner from here folks all right episode five we've we've made it to cinco all right at 5350 cousin brings up the prince album controversy classic prince album controversy doug's family is now having an effect on his psyche yeah and he's he's lashing out now. He's he's expressing that by throwing a tantrum in the fitting room. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And he's shredding apart the costume that looks very much like Prince's controversy era outfit. Yes. <laughs> well, it's tight. It's very much the Prince uh, artist, formerly known as Prince, when he was still known as Prince, controversy outfit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. 1983 era. Yeah. <laughs> and I chime in with mm-hmm. 1983 era. Controversy, uh, in fact, came out in the year 1981, uh, not 1983. I mean, you could give me a little bit of a break. It's like era. I use the word era in a sort of similar era. Sure, 81, 83, not that big a difference. Uh, But just wanted to make sure uh, everyone was clear. Controversy came out in 81. And if you're asking, oh, which Prince album came out in 1983? Weirdly enough, from 1978 to 1992, Prince released a studio album every single year Except the year 1983. He hmm. went from 1982's 1999, the name of the album, uh, to Purple Rain in 1984. Um, and of course, released lots of other you know, great albums throughout the 90s and 2000s after that. Um, there was, in fact, one demo album that he recorded in early to mid-1983, which was discovered and released posthumously in 2018, uh, which is titled Piano and a Microphone 1983. Um, it's very so, good. It's very yeah. Caught you yesterday. You not your phone. Major knowing that your problem wasn't alone. Turn the voice down a little. 
Stripped down um, prints available where music is sold. <laughs> yes, possibly um, High's Steakhouse or a music <laughs> store near High's. Yes, uh, man, imagine High's playing playing a uh, some some Prince piano alongside the uh, the Don't Look Back in Anger uh, Oasis <laughs> tune. I believe yeah, that was playing. And I'm just saying, how many times do we need to mention High's before they realize they'd be a wonderful sponsor of this podcast? <laughs> It's review time. So as the first time we're here at High Seek House in downtown Toronto, this is the only location in Toronto. So this is technically a franchise, but not all over Toronto, but across the Canada, from my knowledge. So first and foremost, we start off with garlic toast. And they also have the option of cheese toast as well. I tried both of them. They're both really good. I preferably like the garlic toast more because just I'm a garlic toast geek, so that's just me. And then we had the Caesar salad that was made at the table. So I have shown that in my clip. It was good. Definitely nothing out of this out of the ordinary. Like I can literally make that at home. So nothing really that special. So I'd rate that like a seven out of ten. And then the garlic toast like a nine out of ten. Then following off with the filet mignon. I had a six ounce filet mignon with fries, because I'm not a mashed potato girl, which you guys already know that. I would rate that like a seven out of 10, nothing too, too special that I preferably would want to go back to. And definitely for sure, I ordered a nice champagne to go with it to at least something to compliment the filet mignon. I'm not a red wine person, so if you guys think, oh, just please, you know what I'm right, I'm not a red wine. So that's it's either Savio Blanc or Champagne. That's it. Call a day. Oh my God, they'd be the, they'd be foolish not to take us on as a partner. Um, pick pick up the phone, folks. Yeah, we are available. So it's also in this episode. Um, this is the appropriate time to, uh, in fact, um, uh, offer another addendum. Or I should say, um, a listener, a listener to Swish FM, uh, has an addendum to issue the three of us. Um, that's right. We have a caller uh, who goes by the name of Sheesh711, uh, who left us a message on the 1-900-SWISH-FM hotline. Um, so let's pull that up and have a listen to what Sheesh has to tell us. Excellent. Hey, Rewindables. This is Sheesh. I am a super fan of your podcast series on Redacted Ice Skating Movie. <laughs> and I'm just calling to tell you that you might have missed a cameo. Kind of an important one. I'm going to let you figure it out. But the clue for this cameo is we don't want him to hide his light under a basket now, do we? We don't want him to hide a light. So this is the costume. This is the costume fitting, of course. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Doug is in there. Doug and Kate are in there. This is when Doug rips the sleeves sleeves off his, his the purple um, 
uh, vest. That's correct. So Feel free to pull it up. Ah, good. This is looking good now. Oh, I like it. Not too low, is it? Well, we don't want him to hide his light under a basket, do we? Now, where to put this? Here. Um, here. I know. Let's put it here. I'm literally frantically going through the files. I'm trying to find... If you need a time code, I can give it to you. It's right after the conversation with Jem, you know, where he comes out uh, at the penalty box. It's right around... The scene begins at the 47... 45-ish? Right around there. 47-45-ish. Right, this is where the prince sleeve comes into play. Mm -hmm. Uh You're not going to shave your legs, are you, right? Okay. Oh my god, that's Paul Michael Glazer in the background. Michael at the sewing machine. Glazer. Ding, ding, Holy ding. fucking shit. Wow. Sheesh. What? Sheesh. 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 What? Holy fucking shit. How have I watched this movie? Oh, oh my god. goodness. At least 17 times for this yep. podcast. I've yep. never seen yeah. it. Yeah. Wait. Is wild. Sheesh. <laughs> you need to follow up with us. Oh my Did god. Did you spot this on your own and see this or did you read about this and then and then track it down in rewatching the film i'm so curious yeah, yeah. we need but a book it took me on the show obviously uh, she did offer framing. to come on the pod i'll be honest with you uh, okay for this alone you're booked <laughs> yeah I mean, that's incredible i i can't believe it that yeah. is um a an Alfred Hitchcockian cameo. This is and it's like the the thing about it that's amazing, and which is why I also did not spot it uh, after shit, watching man. this movie tw- maybe twenty times. Um, there's no there's no wink. There's no z- camera zoom. There's no. not like a slightest like w- like you know every fucking director has, has such an ego that they have to you know make sure that you see it even if it's short. You got to make sure that there's like a little no. moment. Someone knows. Someone does a reaction. The camera pauses in a pan, ever so you know momentarily. But no, this is like he's just there. He's just in the I very mean, background. It, not a single line. Not a single gesture. He does nothing. He's just sitting there in the background. Like a Renaissance painting. Your eye is drawn to the right from yep. the foreground where we are getting Doug's back to the dresser who kind of looks like a gray-haired Christopher Walken with glasses. I was, kinda, yeah, I was going to say, I thought it was Walken. I thought uh, it was Walken was like, a little oh bit. God. I was like, is it Christopher Walken? And then I'm like, what? Sheesh. Sheesh. It was sheesh coming up huge. Uh, incredible, which also means that our draft pick, we missed a non-speaking character. I mean, this so is so here's tremendous. the thing, guys. So I've actually been speaking. sitting on this information for like oh, a few God. weeks, and I thought, <laughs> oh my God. I you thought really, long, I thought really long and hard <laughs> you about bastard. dropping the bomb during the draft. Oh, I mean, let's be it. honest; it would have been a, an absolute, like you know, ace, ace in the hole. Uh, you know, would have won hands down. Sure. But this is a I decided. This is yeah, a correction. This is, this is a correction for all three of us because I absolutely missed it until you didn't it was have it. This was a sheesh. Yeah. Yeah, this is a it sheesh. Was sheesh bomb. all the way, 100%. Um, we have sheesh. Can we bank. just 
can we break down while we're here? Can we break down the non-speaking character of it all here? Because let's be real. Aside from the fact that this is Paul Michael Glazer, this is a tremendous job by a non-speaking character. Mm -hmm. So PMG is, he's working on a piece of maroon fabric. You know, he looks like he's measuring it and he is catching uh, Doug being fit in his costume and he sees something that isn't quite right and just the the glasses are at the end of his nose, uh, and he just sort of turns little, his face down little a little bit. And yeah. again, we talk about this in the non-speaking draft. Um, it's these little distinctions that set you apart. Mm-hmm. And this is a big time powerhouse move by PMG uh, with the glasses at the tip of the nose, yeah. letting us know something is awry. And I'll say but this you know, to, to Sheesh. Uh, reach out to Ben because you are getting a Swish FM custom uh, congratulations gift from from me because yeah, this yeah, is yeah. incredible. <laughs> I, I'm not going to tell you what it's going to be, but you're getting some. And uh, if you're willing to share your details and you're listening to this, I'm dead yeah. serious. We're going to send yeah send send your shipping address. Yeah, you have definitely, I mean, I can't tell it. you how many You've times done the work, sheesh. we've watched this film and haven't seen this. This is, yeah. that is like, honestly, like, I, I can't even <laughs> tell you. It's like, it's I unbelievable. I, my it's brain is brain. Pretty, my pretty wild. Yeah. Tony, PMG, uh, uh, DB Sweeney, Robert no. Court. No one. Yeah. No one. That's the no. other thing is that you would have thought sheesh that had it. we literally sheesh. talked to the man himself we talked to the he man himself, and he it. didn't say anything. He didn't say this a goddamn is, word about a, this. This is a sheesh exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> this is. It's a sheesh Sheesh bombshell. breaking news. Sheesh breaking yeah. news. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Um, also, the first time that she alerted me to this, she didn't give me the clue about the uh, light, uh, you know, not wanting to hide his light. Also, we should just point out what an incredible fucking line that is from Tony <laughs> Gilroy. We don't want to let him, we don't want him to hide his light under a basket. Just phenomenal, phenomenal uh-huh. phrasing. Um, but she didn't give me any clue. She just said, he's in there. Yeah. And I had to literally lose my mind going frame Wait. by frame through the film. Wait, um, so she's just said PMG is in the movie. Yeah. You have to find him. She said, yes. you missed something, the director. And fittingly, and she like, sent it to Ben oh with, God. It, like, with a Zodiac. I went Kodak. through frame by frame through the New Year's <laughs> Eve party. I mean, I'm I'm actually, I got to say, I'm pretty proud of myself. I clocked it like within, I don't know, 20 minutes maybe of searching. I was like, I didn't like fully go insane. Yeah. I, I like, I could have. I usually could have. I'm not going to lie, guys. This is the feeling that I have not felt in such a long time. It's the equivalent of when you see a magic eye and you can't see the thing, the boat, the the bear, the special thing. And then like one day it just happens and you see it and you're like, I can't unsee it now. <laughs> I can't unsee <laughs> yeah. it. It's un- the obstacle illusion. Yeah. Like yeah, now yeah, everything all is I different see now. everything. So it this is my Wizard of Oz moment. I just stepped out. <laughs> everything is in color and I didn't even know. So thank you, Sheesh. This is huge. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sheesh. Um, yeah, Ben, to your point, I would have thought, I would have immediately just been like, well, what are the group scenes? Like, what are the mm-hmm. big group scenes? Is he a waiter at Heinz, maybe? Yeah, yeah where, where are the extras? Like, what? Like he must be in the hockey stadium, right? Like, he must mm. be in the crowd, or 
yeah, maybe he's at highs or mm -hmm. he must be at New Year's Eve or he must be at the bar. You know, he must be at, at, um, yeah, maybe he's dancing in the club. Yeah. 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 Maybe he's at the bar celebrating, um, at the penalty box, but this is wow. Yeah. Just I mean, huge. in broad daylight. Yeah. Broad yeah. Just daylight. Sitting right, right there, there, staring right at the camera. Um, <laughs> but it's so subtle. And I also love the way that Paul, like, you know, he's like the reason that he doesn't draw your eye again is because, He's such a pro that he's, you know, he's acting as a as a seamstress. And even then when his, you know, his gaze is sort of like pulled, you know, toward Doug and whatever's going on, you know, with the fitting, he remains uh, with his hands, you know, outstretched. He's holding this piece of like magenta fabric with like a measuring tape. Um, and his hands remain totally still because he's like, you know, holding up to measure something. So even as his head and his eyes move, he keeps his hands still because he's just working. You know, he's like a professional. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's what a, that's like what a seamstress looks like. That's just a random like, you know, extra in the back, just like acting like a seamstress. Like there's nothing like special about it. It just looks very professional um, and just, yeah, like totally played it straight. Um <sighs> But wow, Unreal. that was satisfying. I've been sitting on that for Real. so long. <sighs> wow, enough foreplay. The feeling when that was you've been owned. Yeah, orgasmic, you could say. Unbelievable. Yeah. You can listen to Switch. 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 Switch.